to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you all back this morning. We're going to be continuing in our series on dedication. So looking at the story of Hannah and Samuel, which is in the early chapters of 1 Samuel. So that's between the books of Ruth and 2 Samuel in the Bible. In previous weeks, we looked at Hannah. We looked at her dedication to God. Uh, We looked at her desperate prayer for a son. We looked at God's subsequent answer to that prayer and the birth of her son Samuel. So today we're looking at chapter 3, which is usually referred to as Samuel's calling. But first, I would like to share some of my own experiences with calling. For me personally, calling or purpose has always been linked with passion. So at a really young age, I was truly passionate about animals. Loved everything about them. And um, this led to my first assumed calling. I was going to be a full-time dog. (laughs) I slept alongside our dogs, I ate with our dogs, I played with our dogs, and my parents all thought this was quite cute at first, until I started barking at visitors. (laughs) Then they started to have some concerns for my well-being, and that is a true story, humiliatingly enough. (laughs) Oh yeah, still love dogs, still might be a dog, who knows. Fortunate enough for them, my next calling wasn't far away which was a cowboy. Um, but turns out, oh, exactly. Turns out opportunities, job opportunities for them were pretty lacking. So no issue. Next was a pilot. All I needed to get over was my severe, a severe fear of heights. <laughs> That's true as well. Then after that, I think you guys already know I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to be a musician. I figured passion could override a lack of talent. <laughs> and then... Then I got saved. Amen to that, yeah. So did it put an end to all that? Well, slide number one, who knows who that man is? Robert Laidlaw, yes. So Robert Laidlaw was the founder of Farmer's Trading Company, yep, which turned into Farmer's a Department Store. Um, he was a businessman, he was a writer, a Christian writer, a philanthropist, And um, he quickly became this big hero of mine. I wanted to be just like him. And I decided that this was going to be my path in life, my calling and my purpose. I would be this Christian businessman who would inspire my workforce and I'd be this big blessing to everybody. I had all these business ideas and I tried in vain to get some of them to stick, but nothing seemed to quite work. Some things got close, but nothing seemed to quite work. That was all good, I thought. Something's going to come up because I just know this is, I want this so much. Now, several of you know that a couple of years ago, almost two years ago, Juliet and I were offered an opportunity to purchase a cafe in Hamilton. And I was like, this is it. I can feel it. I'm finally on my road to becoming a business tycoon. This is just the first humble step. Yeah. And then I'll be just like Robert Laidlaw, maybe even 2.0. Now, When we go to the Bible, Samuel's experience about being called was a little bit different. So Ivy's going to be very kind and bring up the first slide. And I'm going to read through chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. So here we go. 
Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of the Lord went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of the covenant was, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called to Samuel, and he answered, so Samuel answered, saying, Here I am. And so he ran to Eli. Samuel ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And Samuel said, I did not call you. Lie down again. And so Samuel went and lay down. And then the Lord called again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he answered, Eli answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. And verse 7 says, Now Samuel did not know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And so he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be. If he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and actually stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. So from then on, the Lord goes on to give Samuel this, this judgment message. It's actually kind of a confirmation of the judgment message that, he'd already, that Eli had already been given through another another man of God, in chapter 2. But he gives it again to Samuel and says, this is what I want you to say to Eli and his sons. And this message is pretty hardcore. It's basically saying that they're going to be removed, cut off from the priesthood, and that they're going to die young. So, yeah, pretty hard message for a young boy to deliver to his then spiritual mentor. But, hey, Samuel literally gets his name called by God and has the message spout out to him word for word. Pretty straightforward, right? And Eli recognizes straight away that the message is from the Lord, so he doesn't question Samuel about it at all. Wouldn't it be kind of nice to have that kind of security in your calling and message? I think in the past I kind of dismissed Samuel's calling um, as being something kind of profound and distinctly unique to him, something that doesn't really relate to the rest of us. But I want to explore some similarities between his calling and our own calling. So first off, what does the Bible have to say about our calling? As per usual, the Apostle Paul has a lot to comment on this. Uh, and one such comment is found in 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. Um, it reads, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began? Okay, so from this I get that it's a holy calling, because it says it's a holy calling. Some versions say that we're called to live a holy life. Um, Holy meaning dedicated, set aside, sacred, not like anything else. Okay, and so Paul goes on again to say in Romans 8.28, which is another slide, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called to them that are the called according to his purpose. Very famous verse. Okay, so I feel like we're getting a little bit warmer. So our calling's linked to God's purpose. And what's that? 
Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. In verse 20, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. That's good King James language. We pray in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Reconciliation means the restoration of a relationship. So we are called to be a part of restoring the relationship between God and mankind. The role of a priest like Samuel was also reconciliation. They facilitated the sacrifices required to cover Israel's sins and maintain their covenant relationship with God. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says this of Christians or believers, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But unlike, oh, sorry, but we don't need to facilitate any ongoing sacrifices like the Old Testament priests did. We just need to point to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We're called to be ambassadors, representatives of Christ to those around us, and that's a much bigger calling than a specific job or ministry. This encompasses every part of our lives. Okay, so maybe that's not exactly news to the majority of you. But in the case of Samuel and in the case of us too, there appears to be this second stage that follows the calling. And that stage appears to be revelation. Revelation meaning an act of revealing or communicating divine truth. So let me attempt to explain. In verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 3 we read that the word of the Lord was rare in those days and there was no widespread revelation. So basically, people weren't hearing from God. The two main reasons are thought to be, good old Israel, rebellious and disobedient. They're just being God's people, they weren't listening. They were doing their own thing. And number two, especially because this priesthood had been corrupted, mainly by Eli's two rebellious sons who, as Jeremy mentioned, were stealing offerings and sleeping around with the woman who came to give offerings, and the Lord was not happy. Anyway, so people in general aren't hearing for the Lord. And up until this point, young Samuel is no exception. When he hears the call of the Lord, he runs to Eli by mistake. Verse 7 that we read says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord revealed to him. Now, Samuel was dedicated to the Lord. It says he ministered, so he served the Lord at the tabernacle. It says that he had favor from the Lord and he grew up before the Lord. So other versions say he grew up in the presence of the Lord. Yet he still didn't know the Lord's voice. It wasn't until he understood who was calling him and met with the Lord that he was established as a prophet and a priest. From that point on, he confidently spoke the word of the Lord to the nation of Israel through revelation. So just like the case of Samuel, I think that someone can be called, can be dedicated, can serve faithfully, can be blessed, and yet still not know the Lord, not be sensitive to his voice, not know who is calling them. So I believe our calling has a part too, a part that continues all our Christian walk, and that's to get to know the Lord better and better every day. You see, the sacrifice of Jesus 
re-establishes our fellowship with God. But that's not the end of it. As I'm sure everyone here knows, relationships require work. They're like a plant that needs constant watering and sun. Paul prays in Ephesians 1, 15 to 18, this prayer. Wherefore I also, after hearing of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance is in the saints. Remember, these are already believers that Paul's writing to. He even notes in the beginning their strong faith in Jesus and their love for each other, but he's still praying for wisdom and revelation for them so that they may grow in the knowledge of Jesus and truly understand their calling. Jesus even prays in John 17 that this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So in my kind of preparation for this for this sermon, I read this commentary from the evangelist R. Edward Miller, who was involved in this like big revival in Argentina. He said, you cannot know God through the Bible, but you can know the Bible through God. And when I first looked at this, I kind of disagreed. I was like, of course you can know God through the Bible. I even hit up my friend Nathan Baxter, who's preached here a couple of times. And I said, what do you think about this? And he replied with the following text. My thoughts are that it's only through given revelation that we know him. We can know about him by the Bible, but to know him, I think it is to experience the truth of what you are reading. Smart man, Nathan. <laughs> then I read in Matthew eleven twenty-seven, which is Jesus saying, My father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Father, knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus didn't leave us empty handed. He promised the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In John sixteen thirteen it says, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you in all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So how do we get to how do we go about getting to know God better? How do we receive ongoing wisdom and revelation from the Holy Spirit? I believe the story of Samuel has some clues. Number one, Samuel had a miraculous birth. His mother was barren, which means she was unfruitful or empty, and she was unable to have children. Now we have also had, uh, but yet she had Samuel. Now we have also had a miraculous birth, or more so a miraculous rebirth. Who here would describe their life before Christ as unfruitful, unproductive, and empty? Like Hannah's womb, we've gone from death to life. So do we celebrate and give thanks for this as Hannah did? Number two, Samuel was dedicated to the Lord. He was to serve and minister at the tabernacle all his days. His life was not his own. He'd been lent to the Lord, it says. The Apostle Paul calls us to a similar sacrifice. In Romans 12.1, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, 
which is your reasonable service. So are we viewing our Christian walk in the same light as Paul or as Samuel? Or is there part of our lives that we're keeping back for ourselves? Number three, Samuel was young and humble. The Jewish historian Josephus puts his age at about 12 years old. He was young and inexperienced, but the Lord used him. In Matthew 18, 1 to 3, Jesus states that only if we become converted and be like little children will we enter the kingdom of heaven. He then goes on to say in verse 4 that if we embrace the humility of a child, we will be great in the kingdom of heaven. It's hard to have fresh revelation and learn new things if we think that we know it all. So number four, Samuel was obedient. At a very young age, he was separated from his parents and had to serve and obey a man who wasn't even his dad. He only got to see his parents once a year when they came for sacrifices. And while his brothers and sisters were running around and being kids, he was serving in the tabernacle, carrying out manual duties like opening the doors every morning. He was also obedient despite having some appalling role models in the form of Eli's two sons. He was obedient in listening to Eli's direction on hearing from the Lord. He was also obedient in passing on a very harsh message to Eli, even though the Bible tells us that he was afraid to tell Eli. Are we willing to be obedient and speak up for God, even when it's a harsh message, even when we are afraid? Number five, Samuel knew his place before the Lord. Samuel spoke when he needed to speak and was still when he needed to be still. How often do we act like Samuel before he had the revelation of God? We identify a calling from the Lord and we run off to where we think it's coming from rather than just taking the time to be still and inquire of the Lord. After all, what is prayer but interaction with God? True revelation requires spirit-led prayer followed by patient listening for the response. Psalm 46.10 calls for us to be still and know that I am God. Easier said than done, right? Especially if you're like me, and I hate being still. I always have like a thousand things that come up in my mind, a to-do list. But are you currently too busy and noisy to hear God? I still remember getting the call from our bank regarding the purchase of this cafe in Hamilton. They queried the tithing amount that was listed on our expense sheet and said that we'd be unable to purchase the business unless we reduced the amount which was nothing extraordinary, by the way. It was just standard. I'd be lying if I didn't say I wasn't tempted to reduce it. Owning a business was something I dreamed about for years. But I knew in my heart that tithing was, was obedience for me, was obedience on my part. Maybe not everyone's called to it, but I knew in my heart that I'd been called to it. So I said to our banker, Even if I told you that I wasn't going to tithe that amount, I still would. She wasn't too happy with that suggestion. (laughs) That was it. (laughs) I felt so sorry for Juliet. She's the one that had to tell our potential business partners that we weren't going to buy into the calf. This was all after weeks of going back, almost months actually, going backwards and forwards to iron out all the details of the contract. I was discouraged and apathetic. Then something strange began to happen. I'd wake up at around 3am every morning, like wide awake, no matter what time I'd gone to bed. 
and I'd feel this pressing on my heart. I knew it was the Lord that saying, get up, pray, and study. And I'll be honest, I resisted for a while. I don't even know how long. It could have even been months. I, I struggled to get up. So I just pretended I didn't hear him properly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, and I'd, I'd justify it to myself. I'm like, oh, I'm regularly attending church. I'm going to prayer meetings. I'm reading my Bible. Why do I need to get up at some crazy hour to study and pray? After a while, I got so sick of waking up at this time that I just said, fine, I'm going to try it and just so I can get it over with. And I can say that those mornings changed my life. Because the Holy Spirit met with me in those times. And it wasn't like I was just reading my Bible and praying like I, like I was before. It wasn't this chore. Like it was a chore to get up. But it's like that step of obedience, he met with me. He's like, I'll see you halfway. I was like fellowshipping with him. I was hearing him speak. I was asking him questions and I was getting responses. Sometimes, you know, in a voice, sometimes through his word, I'd just read and the answer would be right there. Now, to my knowledge, only Juliet knew that I was doing this. But after a month or so, Murray came to me and said, would you like to preach? Now, there's no way I would have said yes if I didn't have the confidence that came from being with the Lord and studying his word. No way. So the Lord knew. As Nathan Baxter alluded earlier, only through the Holy Spirit can we truly understand what we're reading in the Bible. Although it was hard experiencing this loss of this business dream, in those uncertain times I felt God replaced it with a truer calling, a lasting one. I truly believe he was also protecting us when he shut that door of the calf. Because after a very hard year dealing with this massively reduced customer base from COVID, um, unfortunately, the now owners closed at the end of last year. That could have been us. With all our money, all our savings, I thought that it was my calling to own this cafe. But in fact, my true calling, and I believe all of our true callings, is to draw closer to God every day, to fellowship with Him. You see, owning the business could still be in our future, but that would be a fruit of embracing the call to know God. The opportunities that arrive out of a that arise out of a true relationship with God could be endless. Job opportunities, businesses, ministries, and reconciliation. But these are products of knowing God. These are fruit of knowing God. They're not the prize. They're not the destination. A proper relationship with God ensures a lasting legacy both in this life and the life to come. I thought Ivy's practical advice um, in in the sermon last week was spot on. My recommendation would be for the morning shift. It's so important to start our day with the Lord. It sets everything else up for the rest of the day. And a disclaimer, I'm not perfect. There are mornings I'll lay in bed, turn over, try to ignore. But my days do not go well if that's how I start out. The ones that I start with the Lord... They're the proper days. They're the productive days. I would also strongly recommend praying to the Holy Spirit for each time we read the word, for guidance, for wisdom, for revelation, just like Paul prayed for the faithful Ephesian church.
and to end on the ultimate, which is Jesus, who is the ultimate revelation of God. Hebrews 1 describes him as the express image of God's person. God in the flesh, God with skin on. So my question today is, how well do you know Jesus? In Acts, the disciples are preaching, and just by what they're saying and how bold they are, people recognize them as having been with Jesus. Now, plenty of people knew Jesus. He was practically famous. Plenty of people had been healed by him. Plenty of people had been fed by him. So why was it just the disciples were recognized as having been with him? Because they knew him. They didn't just know of him. They spent time with him. They'd listened to him. They'd asked him questions. They'd laughed with him and they'd cried with him. They knew him. Can we say the same? Let's pray. Jesus. Oh God, to know you better. Help us, Lord. The spirit is willing, Lord, but the flesh is weak. We need your help, Holy Spirit. Be with us this day and every day, comforting us, bringing us peace, bringing us wisdom and revelation that we might draw closer to this God who gave everything to save us. In your holy and precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at